Amen. Well, good morning. <clears throat> um, we let Pastor Ron have a day off today, uh, so um, you're kind of stuck with us, but uh, hopefully we're going to continue to learn and grow together. Um, him and Donna are just enjoying a weekend off, and um, we try to value that and give them that time, so uh, we're happy to kind of step in and um, help out as, as we can. So um, we're glad that you're here at Alliance this morning. My name is Mike. I'm the Family Ministries Pastor. If I don't know you, um, I'd, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, but this morning, we have the opportunity to continue. We're kind of in the middle of this series that we're calling Guardrails. We're looking at some of the instructions, some of the guidelines, some of the, the, the rules and regulations, some of the things that God has put in place in His Word that help us stay on the road that God has laid out for us. And how we kind of manage and navigate our way through life in line with God's standards and with what God wants for us. And so that's what we've been looking at for these last few weeks. We've looked at a few different things um, that can help us kind of establish guardrails uh, and help us see what God's guardrails are for us. And this morning we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to look at a guardrail that maybe, um, maybe sometimes we don't think very much about. Or we oftentimes overlook. Or it's just kind of... It's something that just kind of becomes second nature to us, and so we're not so aware of it as much in our lives. But this morning, we're going to look at the guardrail of comparison. We're going to look at the guardrail of comparison. Now, many times we spend a lot, a lot of us spend a lot of our time and energy comparing ourselves to other people, don't we? Sometimes we look at what other people have or don't have. Sometimes we look at what, how people act and how they live their lives and the jobs that they have and all the things that are going on around them. And we try to measure ourselves or stack ourselves up compared to another person. And honestly, where does all of that time and energy spent comparing ourselves get us? Nowhere, right? It doesn't really get us anywhere. And whenever we compare, like, we compare ourselves from the time that we're kids until the time, until we become adults. And let me give you a good example of what I'm talking about. Um, now, I grew up in a generation, I was one of the first generations, I, I think, to have video game systems that you could have in your homes, like a, a, something you could hook up to your TV and play video games like 24 hours a day, and some of us did play almost 24 hours a day. You didn't have to go to an arcade anymore and just shove quarters into a machine. You had this, this brick that would sit below your TV that would allow you to play endless games whenever you wanted. And for me, now I'm going to date myself a little bit, ready? But for me, the first video game system that my family owned was an Atari 5200. An Atari, does anybody remember Atari? Oh, absolutely. Atari was like, the, I mean, it was incredible. So one Christmas, we got an Atari 5200, and it changed our lives. <laughs> it was incredible. The games that you could play and the graphics that were a part of those games, they were unbelievable. In fact, I found a video with just some short clips of some games that I used to play on Atari 5200. Let's go ahead and see that, that first video now. All right, so here's Super Breakout. Remember this? This game used to drive me nuts. Like, oh, it was nuts. Pac-Man, of course, is classic. Play Pac-Man. I mean, look at those graphics. They're just amazing, right? Then you've got Cubert. Remember Cubert? You had to, like, jump Cubert around all the different boxes and, like, light it up. I mean, listen, Atari was, like, it was life-changing at my house. And we would play with that stupid little Atari joystick that looked like a block of wood with a stick on the top and one button, and we would sit there and play that thing until we needed a, like carpal tunnel surgery. I mean, we would play constantly. And then, the next Christmas, my next-door neighbor, Doug, who we were always comparing ourselves to, my next-door neighbor, Doug, 
got a Nintendo Entertainment System. An 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. And it put our Atari to shame. It put our Atari to shame. We would go over to Doug's house and we would play hours upon hours of Nintendo until we couldn't feel our fingertips anymore because you went from one button to like four buttons and it was revolutionary and you could do all these things that you couldn't do on Atari. In fact, I found some of the games we played on Nintendo too. So let's go ahead and see those games real quick. I mean, you've got the original Super Mario Brothers. I mean, come on, look at that. It's amazing, right? Nintendo Golf. We played Nintendo Golf till we were blue in the face. I mean, we would constantly be playing Nintendo Golf. Punch out. You have to fight your way all the way to the end to finally get a chance to fight Mike Tyson. Remember that? Super Spike V-Ball. We would play this game and try to spike each other and try to, like, win these marathon games. This was the holy grail for me for Nintendo games. RBI Baseball. Look at that. It's like you're at the stadium playing the game. And then Tecmo Bowl. And everybody knew with Tecmo Bowl that you had to be the Oakland Raiders because the Oakland Raiders had Bo Jackson. And Bo Jackson was the best player in the game. You couldn't tackle him. You couldn't bring him down. And we would literally play Nintendo forever. And then we would walk back into our house and look at that Atari sitting under the TV and think, what a piece of junk. What a piece of junk. I mean, our lives were forever changed whenever we saw the Nintendo. And so what did we do? We went to Grandma's house. And we asked Grandma, Grandma, we need a Nintendo. And what do Grandmas do? They buy you Nintendos, right? So Grandma bought us a Nintendo. The problem was it didn't stop with a Nintendo. After the Nintendo, we had to have the Sega Genesis. And after the Sega Genesis, we had to have the PlayStation. And after the PlayStation, we had to have the Xbox. And we didn't have, like, fancy PS4s and Xbox Ones. I mean, I have one of those now. But we didn't have them. We didn't have them back then, all right? But we were always waiting for the next system to come out. And we were always seeing what our friends had and wishing we had that thing. Now, listen, when we're kids, we compare a lot of different things. Toys, bikes, video games. When we're adults, it doesn't stop, does it? We may not compare video games. Well, some of us might compare video games still. But we may not compare video games, but what do we do? We compare houses and cars and trucks and jobs and bank accounts and kids and all that fun stuff that we spend our time and energy comparing against. And where does that comparison get us? Where does that comparison get us? Nowhere. We've all said things like, I'm not as smart as Mike. I'm not as, I'm not as good looking as Mike. I'm not as, you know, we've all said those things. It's okay, I understand. We all say those things, but we all think those things about other people, don't we? I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm not as. And as we do that, we begin to form our identity in other people instead of forming our identity in Jesus. Instead of forming in our identity in the person who created us. And that's when we begin to go from going down the road that God has laid out for us to veering off the road towards the guardrail. That's when we become distracted. That's when we become less effective. That's when we begin to slow down because we're so wrapped up in what other people think and what other people have that we miss the mark. We miss the point. And we all do it. Sometimes we do it subconsciously. And yet we do it. We compare ourselves to other people. And this morning, that's why I want us to talk about uh, why we need to avoid comparison. Why we need to avoid the guardrail of comparison. 
what does comparison do to us? What kind of results do we get whenever we find ourselves comparing ourselves time and time and time again? And how do we avoid and how do we make, take steps to get past comparing ourselves to others? So, to do that this morning, we believe that the best place we can go to learn and gain insight and get, get wisdom for what we needed for our lives is the Word of God. And so we're going to go to the Bible, and we're going to see what the Bible teaches us about how we can avoid comparison in our lives. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at two simple verses, verse 4 and 5 in Galatians chapter 6. You can find it in your Bible, on your phone. The verses will be on the screen, however it is you want to follow along. But it would be great if you could just follow along with us as we read these verses. Two simple verses that have a lot of information packed into them. Galatians chapter 6, you have the Apostle Paul. All right, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to this group of churches in the region of Galatia. And he's, chapter 6 is like the wrap-up. It's his final thoughts, his final remarks, the last things he wants to kind of make sure he gets into that letter. So chapter 6 talks about things like how to um, overcome conflict, how to help each other and um, carry each other's burdens. And then in verses 4 and 5, he talks about comparison and the dangers of comparison. And so let's look at verses 4 and 5. Here's what it says. Starting in verse 4. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Two simple verses. What I want to do this morning is just break down the statements that Paul makes in these verses and talk about how we can avoid comparison by looking at what Paul is talking about here. All right, so the first thing. The first thing that Paul instructs us to do is to test our actions. The very beginning of verse 4, he says, each one should test his own actions. This is a step that many times we overlook or we don't think about because we're so focused on another person We're so focused on what another person has or doesn't have, or how we're better or worse than that person. We get so focused on that other person, we don't spend any time or energy evaluating our own hearts, and our own actions, and our own attitudes. And if we want to be able to avoid comparison, we have to begin with ourselves, by testing our own actions, by looking at the things that we're saying and doing. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Again, I believe that I believe we can best gain an understanding of our own actions by looking at them through the framework, through the guardrails of Scripture, through the guardrails of the Word of God. And how is what I'm doing, thinking, and feeling measure up to God's Word? That's, that's our comparison. So is what I'm doing, thinking, feeling backed up and verified in Scripture? Or is what I'm doing, thinking, and feeling being verified by my own feelings, my own inadequacies, my own um, self-consciousness, my own fear, my own desires. And as we begin to look at God's word, we can get a better understanding of why I'm doing and thinking and acting the way that I am. We need to do that on a personal level, where we open up God's word on our own and and we study it and we look at what God says about certain things that we're experiencing in our lives. But we also need to do that with other believers. One of our core values here is that we're better together we believe that when we're part of a group of people who opens up the Word of God together, who learns together, who gains wisdom and insight from each other, we become better followers of Jesus. We can better test and understand our own actions. But we have to be willing to do both. To open up and examine our own hearts and our own attitudes and our own actions individually and corporately with other people. And as we do that, 
as we do that, I believe we can ask ourselves some questions, some important questions. What is my intention? When I compare myself to somebody else, what's, my, why, what's the intent behind that? Why am I doing that? What's my attitude? What's my attitude towards that person? Do I like that person? Do I hate that person? Am I indifferent towards that person? What's my attitude towards that person that I catch myself comparing, comparing myself to? What results do I expect? What do I really expect to happen from my comparison, from looking at and evaluating another person? Listen, I believe we can gain deep insight and we can learn from the example of followers of Jesus who have done some amazing things well. We can learn a lot from that insight. But we can't cling to trying to stack ourselves up and measure ourselves based on those people because those people are just as sinful as you and I. And so we need to ask ourselves these questions and evaluate and test our own actions. And then after we do that comes the next thing, the next thing that Paul says, which is that we can take pride. Paul goes on and he says, then he can take pride in himself. So after we've tested our own actions, then, 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 that word then is there for a reason. After we have tested our own actions, after we have figured out that we are in line with what God wants for us, and we are living the life that God is asking us to live, then we can take pride. And when we talk about pride here, I I, I want us to understand, I, I believe we're talking about a healthy pride. And a healthy pride comes with a really strong sense of humility. Healthy pride comes with a really strong sense of humility. Healthy pride to me is understanding and looking at and taking pride not so much in what I'm doing, but what God is doing in me and through me. That's what I can take pride in. Not so much my own accomplishments, but what I see God doing in me and through me. That's when I can take pride. That's when you can take pride. And we have to be careful here because this is a fine line. This is a tightrope that we walk. Because it's easy for us to not just, be pri- not just be proud, but to become prideful. And when we talk about this idea of taking pride, we need to understand that we're not talking about, ju- we're, we're talking about being proud and not prideful. There's a difference. We can be proud in what God is doing in us and through us, but sometimes we cling to that pride so hard, we hold on to it so hard, it's, 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 a, it's a medal of honor for us that it becomes not just about being proud, it becomes, it, it becomes about being prideful. And prideful leads to arrogance, and prideful leads to a lot of things that we want to avoid that are going to veer us off the road, that are going to keep us off task, and are going to slow us down. And so we need to be proud and not prideful. That's a hard thing to do, right? That's a difficult thing to do for, for a lot of us. Think of it this way. A lot of you in this room, you're, you're a fan of your favorite sports team, Right? And what's cool about living in Florida is that you have people from all over the country. So we have people who, as I look around the room, I can see it. We have people who are fans, really big fans of certain teams, whether it's a college team, a pro team, whatever it might be. You're a fan of a team. And when your team wins, when your team wins a big game, when your team wins a conference championship, when your team wins a championship of some kind, you're, you're proud about that, aren't you? You're, pr- you're proud about the accomplishments that your team has done, the things that your team has done. You take pride in that. The problem is, is that there are some fans that go from just being proud to being prideful. 
They step over that line. It's not just about being proud of what their team has done. It's about shoving it in your face about what your team hasn't done. Right? Now listen, I'm not going to throw any particular fan base under the bus this morning. But (laughs) there are some certain teams and fans of certain teams that carry this kind of reputation, don't they? If you're a fan of sports, you know this to be true. Some of you are already laughing because I'm about to name your team. Are you ready? I'm not going to name particular teams, but let's say this. Let's say that some people who are fans uh, from, we'll call it the Big Apple, all right? Some of those fans can be a tad bit prideful. Some fans who cheer for teams from, we'll call it Beantown. Some of them can step over the line of being proud to being prideful. We ha- it's, it's, a, it's a gray area sometimes. It's a fuzzy line for some of us. And yet it's a line we have to recognize. That this is not about being prideful. This is not about what I have done, what you have done. It's about what God is doing in us and through us. And whenever we see that going on, we can celebrate that. We can take pride in that. But it's about being proud and not prideful. Paul goes on, and I think this is important, this is where we want to spend a little bit more time talking this morning, is that we need to be able to recognize comparisons. We need to be able to recognize comparisons. And so Paul says we need to test our own actions. When you've tested your own actions, then you can take pride. But you take pride without, there's another important word, without comparing yourself to others. You take pride without comparing yourself to others. Listen, we can test our own actions, and we can take pride in the things that God is doing in in our lives and through our lives, but that doesn't mean that comparison isn't going to creep back into our lives from time to time, does it? When a new coworker shows up at work, and they've, they've taken a job that you wanted, all of a sudden you catch yourself comparing to that person. When a new neighbor moves into your neighborhood, and you really like his truck, all of a sudden we catch ourselves comparing, right? It's easy to fall back into comparison. Even if we're doing things right, it's easy to fall back into comparison. So we need to recognize when it's happening. We need to recognize when it's happening so that we can take steps to overcome it. And sometimes when we compare, there are certain things that happen. There are certain reactions that we have that are counterproductive. Certain reactions that, again, don't get us anywhere. If anything, it slows us down it veers us off the road and we start hitting the guardrails and going into the ditch and losing track of where we're supposed to be going because we get so wrapped up in this. So what are some of the reactions that we have whenever we find ourselves comparing? Things that we need to be able to recognize. Let me name off a few. One, jealousy. Jealousy. This is kind of an easy one, right? This one kind of makes sense whenever we start comparing. This is when we say things like, Oh, I really like those jet skis that that guy has. Oh, I really like the job that he has. I wish I had that job. Oh, I really like their house. And And then when we start doing that comparison, that evaluation, it's easy for jealousy to start creeping in. I want to look at some verses in Proverbs because I think Proverbs gives us really good wisdom that is easy to remember and easy for us to evaluate and think about and apply to our lives. And in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, this is what it says about jealousy. 
It says, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Sometimes jealousy is hard to identify at first, isn't it? It's like cancer in the bones. Sometimes when a person has cancer in their bones, my grandfather had bone cancer, and he, he went misdiagnosed, undiagnosed for a long time. Because it's hidden. It's under the surface. It's not, it's not showing itself in a really visible way. But it starts in the bones, and it begins to spread, and it begins to grow. And then all of a sudden, you begin to see signs of it. Then all of a sudden, you begin to, it begins to kind of reveal itself more and more and more. And jealousy is like that cancer in the bones. It might start small, it might start insignificant, but yet it grows and it grows and it grows. What does the first part of this verse say? How do we repel jealousy? It says that a peaceful heart will lead to a healthy body. A peaceful heart will lead to a healthy body. Having peace, no matter what we have or what we don't have or what our friends have or what they don't have, Understanding that having peace in those situations can repel jealousy, can remove it, can give us a way to overcome jealousy in our lives. We believe that the the best possible way that you and I can find peace is in the person of Jesus Christ. That no matter what we have or don't have, no matter what the world around us has or doesn't have, no matter what our friends have or don't have, we can find a peace that surpasses anything that we could possibly be looking at in the person of Jesus Christ. In what Jesus has done for us, in the example that he gave us, in the way that he gave himself for us, so that we can find peace with God. And when we find that peace, when we put our faith and trust in him, then hopefully we begin to realize and understand that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. I don't have to be jealous. Jesus is enough. And so how do we repel jealousy? We repel jealousy with peace. Another thing that sometimes becomes a reaction of our comparison is contempt. Contempt. When we, when we have contempt against somebody, we start saying things like, well, that person is a mess. That person is a whole lot worse than I am. That person's life is falling apart. And we, we make ourselves feel better by comparing ourselves to somebody whose life is falling apart. And in that process, we despise that person. We belittle them. We put them down. We, and, and, and in that process, we despise them and we hold them in contempt. And it's important that we understand and catch ourselves whenever we do this. Back to the book of Proverbs in chapter 14. It says this. It says, He who despises his neighbor sins. It can't be any more black and white than that. He who despises his neighbor sins. Despising other people has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean that we won't do it. It just means that we, it should have no part in our lives. That we would despise somebody. That we would wish them ill will. It has no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. The verse goes on and says, But blessed is he who is kind to the needy. But blessed is he who is kind to the needy. How do we overcome contempt? How do we overcome the feelings that we have towards a person whose life is falling apart, who we think we're better than? What does this verse tell us to do? 
help them. Reach out to them. Extend the love and the hope of Jesus to them. If we want to overcome contempt, we do it by loving other people well. So we need to watch for jealousy. We need to watch for contempt. Another thing is arrogance. Arrogance. Listen, if we don't deal with contempt, if we don't deal with contempt and we're despising other people, arrogance is right behind it. Arrogance is right behind it. Because what is arrogance? Arrogance is, is putting people down. Arrogance is saying, I'm better than. I'm more important than. I have more than. And when we make those statements, we become arrogant. We become mockers. We become people who, are, who just belittle others and put them down. Let's go back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24. It says, mockers are proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. Mockers are proud and haughty. Pretty much mockers are jerks. Mockers are those mean kids that none of us could stand in school, unless you were that mean kid. But mockers are jerks. They're just they're people who are out to do whatever they can to destroy your, your psyche, to destroy your life, to destroy your, your emotions. They're out to get you. And what does it say? They act with boundless arrogance. They don't care. They don't care how much damage they do. They don't care how many people they hurt. They don't care how deeply they hurt you. They don't care. And when we catch ourselves comparing ourselves to others, and we allow that contempt to to grow inside of us, and it becomes arrogance, we stop caring. We stop caring about the needs of others. We stop caring about their worth and their value. Because we're more, we're more, uh, it's more important to us that we feel good about ourselves than building up somebody else. And so we have to watch for arrogance. When we catch ourselves being arrogant, we need to recognize that we are on dangerous, shaky ground. That will lead us nowhere good. That will pull us directly off the road that God wants us to be on. So we need to watch for arrogance. The the next thing, and this is something that maybe we don't think as much about when it comes to comparison, but many times comparison leads to anxiety, doesn't it? Comparison leads to anxiety. When we when we start comparing ourselves to others and we say things like, oh, that person is so much better than me and um, their kids are smarter than mine and their kids are faster than mine and their kids are nicer than my kids and I will never be as good as so-and-so. And, I, and we, we start building up these lies in our own minds and in our own hearts and we start spiraling down this road that we're not supposed to be on because we've, we've, re- we've forgot that God wants to sustain us. We forgot that Jesus is enough because we're in this cycle of comparison that we have to pull ourselves out of. And that can cause anxiety in us. That can cause worry in us. Back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. As anxiety starts creeping into our lives, it's important that we remember this. An anxious heart weighs a man down. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. And anxious, anxiety is like an anchor tied around our neck that is pulling us down, that is holding us back, that is keeping us 
from the things that God wants to accomplish in us and through us. Now listen, some of us suffer from anxiety in lots of different ways, not just from comparison, but from other parts of our lives as, too, as well. And anxiety is a big problem for some of us, and we need to address those problems in any way that we can and not allow that worry to keep us from the things that God wants us to do in our lives. So an anxious word weighs us down. We need to understand and address that anxiety. And sometimes we just, sometimes addressing that anxiety is, is as simple as remembering the promises that God has given us in his word. It's remembering how much God has told us that we're valued, that we're loved, that we're worth it. And so maybe a practical step for some of you is to have scripture on your phone so that whenever you feel that anxiety creeping in, you can go to the word of God and be reminded of those promises, to put it on a mirror, to put it next to your bed, to put it somewhere when you know that anxiety gets the best of you, to be reminded of what God says about you and what God wants to do in you and through you. I think the second part of that verse is just as important as the first, especially for those of us that maybe don't suffer with anxiety. But it says this, but a kind word cheers him up. But a kind word cheers him up. We've talked about this before, but the, the weight and the importance of our words is huge. When we have the opportunity to see somebody who is struggling with anxiety, who is, who is struggling with worry, to remind them that they are loved, to remind them that they have value, to remind them that they are worth something, a simple reminder can go a long way for people who are suffering with anxiety. I'm not saying it'll fix everything, but it is our job to do whatever we can to speak those types of things into the lives of other people. That's what followers of Jesus do. We build each other up. We encourage each other in any way that we can. So as these things creep in, as we recognize things like jealousy and contempt and arrogance and, and anxiety— and may we remember that if we trust him, that Jesus will always be enough. That Jesus will always help us overcome those things. It doesn't mean that it won't be a continual struggle for some of us throughout the course of our lives. That we can have victory over some of those things if we are willing to put our trust in Jesus and understand that he is enough. He is greater. He is bigger than those things that we struggle with. So, Let's go on to the last thing that Paul talks about, going back to Galatians chapter 6. last thing that Paul talks about is Paul wants us to carry our own load, to carry your own load. He says at the end of verse 5, for each one should carry his own load. So Paul's last reminder for us is that he wants us to make sure we're doing the things that we are supposed to be doing and not wasting our time and energy measuring ourselves compared to somebody else, stacking ourselves up against somebody else. When Paul says, carry your own load, the language that's kind of being used here, it, I want you to picture like a backpack, all right? Like you're wearing a backpack. The load that we're supposed to carry is not supposed to be a crushing burden that, that, that keeps us down. It's the responsibilities, it's the gifts, the, it's, the, it's the opportunities that God gives us. And it's not supposed to crush us. It's supposed to help us as we move our way through life. But sometimes we get stuck comparing ourselves to others. And when we do that, we start adding weight to our backpack. We start adding more and more and more weight. And as we add that weight, we slow down. We become less effective. We become more distracted from the things that really matter. 
from the things that should be really, really important to us. Think about it this way. When you drive, all right, when you drive down a road, do you stare at the road or do you stare at the guardrail? Please say the road. We stare at the road, right? Because what happens if we become fixated on the guardrail? We start going that way, don't we? We start veering that way. We start moving that way because that's where our focus is. That's where our attention is. That's where all of our energy goes. Instead of focusing on the things that really, really matter. In another one of the Apostle Paul's letters in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about this group of false teachers. This group of people who have veered way off the road. Who have gone way off target. And he's talking about some of the symptoms, some of the things that have caused that to happen. And I think that's important for us to recognize too. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's like the second part of verse 12. It says this, as he talks about these false teachers, he says, But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. They're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. You see the problem there? Using themselves as the standard of measurement. Can you see how they veered off course? Can you see how they missed the mark? Their focus changed from the road to the ditch on the side of the road. Their focus changed from the, from the middle of the road to, to the cliff that's over there. Because they were using themselves as the standard of measurement. And when we do that, when we use each other as the standard of measurement, we're never going to be where we want to be. Because no matter how good somebody else might be, and again, believe me, I believe we can learn from the example of other believers, but if we are constantly comparing and matching ourselves up to them, those people are going to fail us, they're going to let us down, something's going to happen, and then all of a sudden we've veered way off the road, and we've lost sight of what really matters. So what should be our standard of measurement? What should be our standard of measurement? I believe, again, we go to the Word of God, right? The Word of God gives us a standard of measurement. The Word of God also gives us the life and the example of Jesus Christ. And that is our standard of measurement. Looking at the life of Jesus, looking how he lived, looking at what he did, looking at the way he treated other people, that is our standard of measurement. And so if that's our standard of measurement, we can ask ourselves some questions that help us as we evaluate and test and move our way through um, overcoming comparison or avoiding comparison. We can ask ourselves questions like, how does my life compare to the life of Jesus? Now, let's just put this on the table right away, all right? You will never be Jesus. You will never arrive at this. But... How does my life compare to the life of Jesus? What's something about me that if I change, that if I did differently, that if I paid attention to, is going to help me become more and more like Jesus and live my life more and more like Jesus did? With the understanding that we will never arrive there, but that we are striving towards a great goal to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can. And then the second question is, how does my life measure up to the life that God wants? How does my life measure up to the the life that God wants? So, as I look at my current situation, as I look at the things that I'm focused on, that I spend all my time and energy on, how do those things measure up to what God might be asking me to do? What adjustments do I need to make? 
what, what changes can I make to make sure that my life is lining up more and more with God's? And again, this won't happen overnight. This takes change over time, so it takes, and it takes work, and it takes effort, and it takes us being open and honest and transparent with other people who can help us along the way. But as we ask ourselves these questions, we, become, we begin to become more aligned with what God has for us. We become to become more aligned with the road that God has laid out for us. But we have to be willing to ask ourselves deep, meaningful questions like that. These are the standards that will help us move forward and not slow us down and not distract us and not veer us off the road that we're supposed to be on. And again, if you catch anything from what we've talked about today, here's what I want you to remember is that our identity, our identity is not found in comparing ourselves to other people's. It just, it it will never lead us where we want to go. Our identity is found in the person of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And if we believe that, if we trust that, that is something that we can celebrate. That is something that we can take pride in. That is something that we can strive for. That is going to help make us a more effective person. It's going to help us make us more effective, a more effective church. And it's going to help, help us make a better impact in the world around us. So your identity is not found in comparing yourself to somebody else. Your identity is found in Jesus. So may you have confidence in that. May you find hope in that. That we don't have to compare ourselves to other people. And if that, if we're willing to do that, that's going to put us right smack in the middle of where God wants us to be. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that every time we open it, we can learn something new. That you reveal yourself more and more to us as we are willing to open ourselves up more and more to you. God, may we do that on a daily basis. May we do that throughout our day. When we catch ourselves comparing ourselves to somebody else, may we recognize that our identity is not found in that, that it is found in you. And may that change the way we live our lives, starting right now. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for other believers that are here with us that can help us along the way. Thank you that we don't have to try to figure this out on our own, but we can have confidence in you and that we can learn from each other so that we can become more and more in line with where you want us to go and how you want us to get there. God, thank you for the gift of your son that makes all of this possible if we put our trust in you. Thank you that we have that opportunity because you care about us. May we live our lives in reflection of that this week. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.